The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Our guest today is Gavin Lockyer, Managing Director of Arafura Resources. It is listed under the code ARU or Alpha Romeo Uniform and is trading at 31.5 cents for a market cap of around 530 million. Now, listeners to uh, the Explorers Podcast will remember that we had a chat to Gavin, in uh, early 2020, uh, the stock was trading at 7.9 cents then for a market cap of 83 million. So needless to say, there's been lots happening in the rare earth space, uh, particularly for Arafura at Nolan's project in the Northern Territory, where there's an emphasis on the critical supply of rare earths materials to uh, magnet manufacturers in the electric vehicle and renewable energy supply revolutions that are going on. So with that, I welcome Gavin back to the Explorers podcast. G'day, Gavin. Thanks for your time today. G'day, Barry. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Gavin, I thought it'd be, um, I mentioned there the projects in uh, Nolan, so about an hour's drive out of Alice Springs, but I was wondering if we could start out with something a bit broader perhaps and Give us a feel how Arafura sees itself playing a part in this global energy decarbonisation push that we're seeing. Well, certainly, you know, the world has seemed to accepted that we're all heading for net zero emissions by 2050. And in order to achieve that, uh, we're obviously going to have to electrify our transportation fleets, but also look at renewable energy solutions, including offshore wind turbines. And uh, both of these applications uh, require significant quantities of, of rare earths, in particular rare earth magnets. And uh, Arafura's uh, role is that it's a significantly, uh, it's a large resource um, capable of uh, when in production where we're targeting about 5% of that global demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, obviously the, the key areas of demand are those uh, energy transition um, uh, applications that I just mentioned. Mm. Okay, for those... It might not be right across the uh, rare earth story. Um, we're talking about NDPR, which I won't try and pronounce, but uh, the two key rare earths for permanent magnets, that's correct? Yes, that's correct. So NDPR or neodymium praseodymium are two uh, rare earths, uh, which are a suite of elements um, on the periodic table. But NDPR is really about a third of the magnet. Uh, It's mixed with then usually uh, iron and boron uh, to make what's just generally referred to as a permanent uh, rare earth magnet. And um, yeah, these uh, these magnets make things um, smaller and and more efficient. Um, A a good example is uh, a stereo speaker, uh, which used to have a big iron ferrite magnet at the back of it. Now we all have uh, little rare earth magnets in our earbuds. Uh, which are you know make make the speaker much clearer and much smaller. It has a similar application or similar um, scale to uh, to uh, electric vehicles, where it makes the motors much more efficient, and therefore your uh, the battery uh, can drive that uh, that car further for the same charge. Now, back in uh, twenty twenty, there was uh, concerns around uh, the 
current dominance of the industry by uh, finished products from uh, China. And since then, of course, we've had COVID, which uh, has created new concerns around supply chains, etc. I'm just wondering, um, your location in the NT there, in Australia, obviously, a tier one location, um, what's your feedback from uh, future potential customers around, uh, you know, relying on, well, extending their supply chain into a project like Nolan's? Yeah, certainly COVID has highlighted an issue that the that all these industries, particularly the um, the uh, motor vehicle and uh, wind turbine industries, uh, had prior to COVID. Um, but uh, COVID, um, basically, when uh, China was impacted um, by COVID, uh, probably you know ahead of the rest of the world, uh, the magnet. Uh, factories uh, pretty much closed down and this created a massive issue in in um, the OEM uh, applications whereby they were producing motor vehicles but they couldn't actually sell them it's a little bit like the semiconductor chip yep. and so all these large groups have have gone back into their uh, supply chains and realized that without these critical materials um, and and in our case it's the NDPR permanent magnets uh, they they don't have an automobile, so uh, the interest in in Arafura in particular has has grown significantly. How would you describe the uh, rare earth market just at the moment in terms of pricing and demand? Look, pricing has um, has been more reflective of supply and demand, um, whereas historically it's probably been a little bit artificially played with. Mm. Uh, but given the growing um, interest for diversification of, of supply chains, it's actually uh, kept pricing up nice and high. So we did our feasibility study based on a long-term price of about 87 US dollars per kilogram. Mm. Uh, current pricing is around 130 US dollars a kilogram. Uh, and most of the long-term forecasts have it uh, sitting at about 120 to 130 dollars per kilogram. Right. Okay. Now, Australia in alignment with its uh, key trading partners, um, i.e., pretty much the rest of the world, has been lining up government support for the industry and new developments particularly. Has Nolan's benefited from this? Definitely. Uh, the Australian, the previous government uh, had a critical mineral strategy and I'm pleased that the the, the new government uh, has um, continued on uh, the work that was uh, put in place by the previous uh, government through its critical minerals facilitation office. Uh, and that's been reflected to uh, in, in particular to Arafira, whereby we've received a uh, $100 million letter of support for a debt facility from the NAIF, the Northern Australian Infrastructure Fund, a $200 million debt facility uh, letter of support from Export Finance Australia, uh, but also appreciating that uh, Arafura is not just digging stuff up and shipping it offshore for processing. We're actually doing modern manufacturing uh, here in Australia. We've received a $30 million grant uh, to go towards the uh, final part of our uh, processing technology, which is the separation plant, where we separate the uh, NDPR from the rest of the rare earths. Mm. That is a point of difference with the uh, project and the company's intentions. Uh, what, what's the strategy behind that, having this uh, mining and processing on a single site? Look, uh, there's a number of number of things. We just always felt that uh, if we could do uh, everything at one site, it would be it would be cheaper. These, these are big plants we're, we're talking about. Uh, you know, our capex is over a billion dollars. So if you can uh, not have to replicate, uh, you know, administrative or infrastructure at, at different sites, that, that would certainly be a saving. The other thing that we were very mindful of is um, the processing waste that come from uh, any mining or minerals processing um, operation. And we felt that if we could do it all at a single site, 
and um, and store the, the waste or, or uh, rehabilitate the waste at at the site from which it came, it would be much more uh, well received by the communities in which we operate, and it certainly has proven that. The other uh, ex- extension to that that point is that our customers are now also demanding a line of sight as to how their uh, raw materials are being processed mm-hmm. and how wastes are being managed. And so we are able to offer our, uh, our customers uh, that um, a, a clear line of sight operating in a tier one jurisdiction, uh, which is well regulated uh, and uh, fully costed. So it, uh, it benefits the customer. It benefits the customer's customer who uh, are also looking for a clear line of sight that um, that raw materials are being uh, produced um, in an ethical and sustainable way, and so uh, that's that's the other advantage that we we provide. Right, uh, obviously Alice Springs uh, an hour down the road provides us some supporting infrastructure, but I was just wondering what you'll be doing for energy in that part of the world. So uh, we're quite fortunate uh, in the fact that the Amadeus gas pipeline actually runs through our tenement. So <laughs> we initially will be uh, tapping into the gas pipeline uh, for for our energy requirements. However, from day one, uh, we're also uh, looking to complement the uh, the gas with um, with solar, and uh, we're also currently. Uh, plotting out our own um, net zero uh, 2050 strategy, uh, which will include, you know, uh, storage, um, batteries and, and other, uh, other sources of renewables to slowly reduce our, uh, our reliance on fossil fuel. The other thing, you know, that is, is obviously growing in, in this country is hydrogen. So we'll, we'll consider all these types of options um, for the future. Right, okay. Uh, critical to uh, Rare Earths projects is offtakes. Uh, what's the progress on that front? Look, uh, we've uh, previously announced, and, and it's just been in the last sort of six months, that uh, we've got non-binding MOUs with two large industry players being Hyundai Motor Corporation and General Electric Renewable Energy. Um, obviously, Hyundai uh, require, well, is seeking um, material to feed into its electric vehicle uh, strategy and GE renewables for its offshore wind wind turbines. So, you know, this this I think uh, reflects two things. It reflects the change in the market. Uh, historically, uh, OEMs such as these groups would not go as far back into their supply chain uh, as as these two have now done. They would typically only look at the magnet or the component um, producer. Um, but also, I think it it sends a really good signal to the market that this is a tier one project. Uh, and you know we've got significant um, uh, partners there with uh, with big balance sheets. Right. Uh, in the opening, I mentioned the uh, growth in market cap from eighty three million uh, early twenty twenty to where it is now five hundred and thirty million. Uh, if you had to pick one single factor behind that, is it is it the movement in rare earth prices? Is it what you were just talking about there that OEMs and governments are getting behind the industry in a big way? What's 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 your feel? I think it's just a, a, a global awareness now that uh, they need to do something about diversification of supply chains and, uh, you know, combine that with some government funding or, you know, the uh, critical mineral strategy, uh, combine that with uh, you look around the world and there's very um, few uh, sizable rare earth deposits uh, that, that have been uh, continually developed over the last five to ten years. Uh, the only only player that's got up and running outside of China has been uh, Linus Corporation, although Mountain Pass in in the US is is also uh, doing some production. 
Uh, and I think it's just a, uh, you know, a, a geopolitically things are, are, are aligning and I think there's just a, a, a global push for net zero and, uh, and everybody realises that without uh, rare earths, you, you can't achieve that. Mm. Now, Gavin, I've seen uh, some glorious growth forecasts for things like lithium and copper and nickel as part of this decarbonisation effort of the world. I'm just wondering, are there any uh, industry sort of forecasts you can point to uh, that uh, tell us uh, about the rare earths market, particularly the NDPR market? Absolutely. Look, Wood Mackenzie have just released a, uh, a, a number of slides or forecasts um, around uh, that very that very thing. Um, and they've basically taken a really interesting approach. They've, they've looked at uh, 2050 and said, right, to get to net zero by 2050, let's work back as to how much um, NDPR we need in order to meet the uh, wind turbines, the electric vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's quite staggering. Um, by 2035, 55% of all magnet demand will be uh, used in drivetrains for automotives and also, and also the wind wind energy. So, you know, Nolan's, you, you really probably need another, another at least 10 Nolan's bore projects to come online in order to meet that demand. So it's, uh, it's looking really, uh, really positive and we hope that it's reflected in pricing as well. Mm. Which brings us to the obvious question. So Nolan's getting into production, getting off the ground. What's the, what's the target now? Yep. Um, look, we, uh, we're targeting FID still by the end of this year um, and uh, doing early work construction at the start of next year. Hopefully by, uh, by this time, August next year, we'll be in um, you know, full swing production uh, and we're targeting full swing construction and we're targeting first production uh, in 2025, which we think will meet a really sweet spot in the, in the marketplace as most of the forecasts are seeing demand um, diverging away from, from supply quite significantly in that period of time. And given the outlook we've been discussing, demand outlook, price, prices, etc., and the, the requirement for new supplies coming forward, um, I take it then the it's a billion dollar cap uh, project we're talking about here, so it's not particularly scary against that scenario. Um, well, it's it depends on it's hard work what you're looking at. Um, <laughs> with a with a market cap of seven hundred million or five hundred million, it certainly um, looks much more achievable than it did uh, when you had a market cap of eighty million. Yeah, uh, and uh, and you know the support of um, of Hyundai and GE uh, in 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 you know agreeing to long term offtakes, which uh, underpin our our debt financing, is fantastic. And we're also talking uh, with a number of groups um, around strategic equity uh, to assist us in in getting that um, that uh, raising the, the project finance. Mm, can you give us a bit of colour around the feedback? Uh, it's quite positive. Um, I can't say much more than that, mm-hmm. but um, you know we have made um, it uh, known in our uh, particularly with our General Electric uh, announcement that uh, equity is an option to mm-hmm. be being considered. Right. Okay. Um, something that always interests me, Gavin, is the impact projects like this, uh, apart from being a nation-building project, can have on regional communities. And I'm thinking Alice Springs. Is it causing a bit of a buzz in Alice Springs at all? Yeah. Look, we've got really strong support from the local communities, and and particularly, you know, uh, given that Alice Springs, about eighty percent of their GDP, I think, is um, is basically government-funded um, mm. through through services. So this really represents a game changer for the region. 
And given the size of Nolans and, uh, you know, we've got a 38-year life of mine just um, that's been identified, but we know that there's significantly more resource there than that. Um, you know, that it has an opportunity to make intergenerational change in the region too. So, you know, certainly Alice Springs is, is extremely, um, extremely uh, buzzing about the project, uh, but I think to the wider Northern Territory mm. and, and, and Australia, because this is, a, you know, it's a new downstream manufacturing process that, um, you know, is not done anywhere else in the world. So apart from China. Mm. So, you know, this is a, a real game changer and for Australia to play its role in um, in the decarbonisation world. Yeah. Just on, on that point about um, the value add, do you have off the top of your head some sort of feel for what the difference between exporting a concentrate would be to exporting a finished product? Uh, yeah, look, about a third of, uh, so in a, in a mineral concentrate, you probably get about a third of the value of the rare earths in that mineral concentrate um, compared to, you know, selling an NDPR oxide. Right, okay. Interesting stuff. All right, Gavin, let's uh, give investors a feel for what they should be looking out for, perhaps for the rest of this year. Uh, 23 looks like it's shaping up as a big one too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, we'd, we'd like to get some uh, some binding offtake agreements in place and we, we, we're fairly close to, to, to some of that. Um, and I think, uh, and also we're, we're finalising our front-end engineering and design process, which will roll into more detailed design. Uh, but also uh, undertaking constructability reviews. So, you know, we'll be putting out uh, probably uh, updated uh, discounted cash flow analysis, um, updated CapEx, et cetera, towards the end of this year, um, which is obviously going to be required uh, for the board of directors to be able to declare final investment decision. So that's in the next little while. Uh, And then obviously we uh, secure the, the debt financing uh, lock away the equity and uh, and get into construction next year. Right. So just to confirm, um, all goes well. First production would be roughly when? 2025. 2025. Okay. That's an interesting story. Great story for uh, the company, the Northern Territory and Australia. Um, one last question would be the current, there's a lot of talk in WA, of course, about the cost pressures on building new projects. How do you see that panning out for you? Yeah, Mark? that's, that's a, well, I was going to say that's the billion dollar question. But mm. uh, yeah, look, uh, like everybody uh, and everybody globally, uh, you know, we are under inflationary pressure. Mm. Um, the beauty, I guess, one of the upsides we have is that we're actually doing this in, in Central Australia. So um, whilst there's a lot of uh, labour pressure on, uh, on projects in WA, we're hoping that uh, because of our location that we'll be able to um, you know, source labour mm. in particular from, from around Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not get caught up in that uh, that cycle that uh, that WA is is well known for, uh, but you know commodity prices uh, have been increasing, so there will be some increase in capex, um, but we're hoping that uh, we can uh, keep that to a you know the bare minimum. Yeah, well, by the time you break first ground, the heat could be out of that labour supply market anyway. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, no, great stuff. Alrighty, Gab, well, thanks for your time today. Fascinating story. Uh, We'll be watching with interest as always, and good luck with it all. Great, thanks very much. Cheers.